This episode discusses mental illness and suicide, and a crime committed against a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone! Just to let you know, I'm going to try and ramp up my podcast production, hopefully putting out more episodes on a regular basis, so get excited for that. I always try to be objective when discussing cases, but it's more difficult with some more than others. Let's just say there are cases where it doesn't take a genius to make a good guess of who's responsible for what happened. I'm your host, Natalie, and this is Talk Murder With Me, Episode 20, The Disappearance of Sky Metawala. The following is Julia Buryakova's account of what happened on November 6, 2011. This is what she would tell the police. Julia's two-year-old son, Sky woke up not feeling well, so she decided to take him to the doctor. I believe this was sometime around 8 or 8.30 in the morning. She put Sky and her four-year-old daughter, Miley, in the car, a silver 1998 Acura Integra. She drove in the direction of Overlake Medical Center in Bellevue, Washington. At some point on the drive, around the 2600 block of 112th Street Northeast, she supposedly ran out of gas. Julia parked on the side of the road and got out of the car with Miley. She then walked a mile with her daughter to a gas station, leaving Skye alone in the car, buckled into his car seat. She claimed she left him because he was asleep and she didn't want to wake him up. She did not have a gas can with her, nor did she buy one. She said that the reason she walked to the gas station was to use the phone, because she had left hers at home. She called a friend, asking to be picked up at the gas station and driven back to her car. The friend agreed, arriving at the gas station a short time later. In total, it had been about an hour since Julia and Miley had initially left the car. When they got back, Skye was gone. The whole thing is bizarre, and the police very quickly began to poke holes in it. Sky Elijah Metawala was born on September 6, 2009, to Julia Beryakova and Solomon Metawala in Bellevue, Washington. At the time of his disappearance, he was living in an apartment in Redmond, Washington, with his mother and four-year-old sister, Miley. You can find plenty of pictures of Sky on Google Images. He's very cute and just looks like a normal, happy two-year-old. But as we know, photographs rarely tell the whole story. It's important to Sky's story to give some background into his parents. This is going to be a bit of a roller coaster, so hang tight. Julia Beryakova was born in Russia in 1982, but is a native of Ukraine. In 1994, she emigrated from Ukraine to the United States. Three years later, in 1997, 15-year-old Julia met 21-year-old Solomon Metawala. Solomon, who was originally from Pakistan, was doing well for himself. He ran his family's business, a successful convenience store in Seattle. On their first meeting, Solomon invited Julia to a party, and they began dating soon after that. Julia was underage at 15, but maybe she turned 16 by the time they started dating. I'm not totally sure. It wasn't long before Julia began working at Solomon's convenience store. 
Julia graduated from Bellevue High School in 1999 and became a naturalized U.S. citizen the same year. Soon after her graduation, the pair purchased a condo in Bellevue and moved in together. In February 2003, Julia and Solomon married in a small, extremely informal ceremony, apparently in Solomon's mother's kitchen. The marriage was rushed because, according to Solomon's mother, her son was facing deportation back to Pakistan. It's not clear why exactly he was at risk of being deported. In 2005, Solomon converted to Christianity. I'm not sure of his previous religion or if he was religious at all. According to Julia, he became a die-hard, born-again Christian. To this day, Solomon's faith is a pivotal part of his life. Julia attended church with him, but I don't believe religion was as important to her. It was in 2005, going into 2006, that Solomon and Julia began to struggle financially. This was because a competitor store opened nearby. The main attraction of this new store was that it had a deli. Solomon's store lost a lot of customers. These circumstances, combined with the beginnings of the economic downturn, meant that their business really began to suffer. According to court documents that would come out later, Julia claimed that she did not find out about the extent of their debt until they were six months behind on paying their mortgage, utilities, and their credit cards. Like the business, their marriage was also in trouble. Julia wrote in the court documents I mentioned that this was the time her husband's anger and his true character began to show. In December 2007, Julia gave birth to their daughter Miley. I don't know how much discussion there was over this, but it was decided that Julia would stay home with the baby, while Solomon would continue to work at the store. It was at this time that life really took a turn for the worse. Not long after Julia began staying home with Miley, she began exhibiting alarming behaviors, particularly compulsive cleaning. Solomon became very concerned about his wife's mental state and the welfare of their child. Literally all Julia did was clean. She was failing to feed herself and the baby. She would call Solomon at work, telling him he had to come home and feed Miley because she was too busy cleaning. Solomon would have to close the store, come home, pick Miley up, and take her somewhere to eat. This was due to Julia being so afraid of any germs or contamination, she refused to keep food in the house. Julia was diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive disorder, for which she was prescribed medication. The medication seemed to improve her condition, and for a while, life began to look up. Despite their financial troubles, Solomon purchased a much larger home in Kirkland for $860,000, and they moved in in 2008. They still kept the condo in Bellevue. However, the following year, the bank foreclosed on their Kirkland home, and they had to move back into the condo. That same year, Julia found out she was pregnant with their second child. Because of this, she stopped taking her medication altogether against the orders of her doctor. Her OCD returned with a vengeance. By the time Skye was born, Julia had reverted back to obsessive cleaning, literally all day, every day. She would deep clean the entire home, do multiple loads of laundry, and then start all over again. Solomon was still having to leave work, now to take both kids to eat somewhere. 
He wasn't allowed to bring the kids home for hours after they ate because Julia didn't want them to mess up the house. She would not let Solomon sleep in their bed at night because she had made it so perfectly. She made him sleep on the floor. Julia would vacuum for hours late into the night, resulting in them receiving a number of citations from the general manager of the condominium complex for excessive noise. Julia would be committed to different mental health facilities three times, two of these involuntarily. On March 10th, 2010, Julia sent texts to Solomon, saying that she wanted to kill herself. She also told him about how she was having thoughts of strangling their children. Solomon was particularly scared because Julia was home alone with six-month-old Skye. He called the police, asking if someone could go to their house and check on Julia. Julia told the police she was suicidal. She was involuntarily committed to Overlake Hospital in Bellevue. She later told doctors that she threatened suicide to get her husband's attention. She also spent time at Navos Hospital in West Seattle. After being discharged, she voluntarily admitted herself to the University of Washington Medical Center. A psychiatrist who evaluated Julia during, I believe, her last hospital stay at UW Medical Center concluded that she was not psychotic and had only agreed to be committed because of pressure from her husband. Those who evaluated Julia concluded that her condition would not hinder her ability to look after her children. One psychologist said that she was, quote, an intense young woman whose only interest is to provide a good life for her two children. Another psychologist, Dr. Stephen Scholl, said in a statement, Although Ms. Buryakova is dealing with a severe form of OCD, I do not believe that this interferes with her ability to be a compassionate, effective parent to her children. Just a word from me. People who have mental health issues can, of course, be excellent parents, but it's really important that mental health problems are treated appropriately because it can be really dangerous otherwise. Which is why, for me, the conclusions of the psychologists who evaluated Julia are shocking and totally irresponsible. While in hospital, Julia would also be diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression. She refused any talking-style therapy, only wanting to be treated with medication. By June 2010, Julia and Solomon had already been separated for several months. Solomon officially filed for divorce. The divorce proceedings were vicious and bitter. Julia accused Solomon of being extremely controlling and having anger issues. She immediately began hurling accusations at him, saying during a hearing that he was emotionally and physically abusive towards herself and the children. She alleged that he would hit them with a wooden spoon. Solomon fiercely denied the accusations, asserting that Julia was lying in order to spite him and manipulate the divorce proceedings. He said that Julia's mental illnesses had taken over her life, and she was unable to look after herself, let alone their children. Child Protective Services, CPS, would visit the family six times between late 2009 and late 2010. In court, a social worker did say that there was evidence to support Julia's accusations that Solomon had physically abused the children. There were photos of both Miley and Skye with bruises that could be consistent with being hit with an object like a wooden spoon. It did, however, definitely seem as though Julia was really just throwing all these accusations at the wall to see what would stick. 
and who knows how far she would have gone to hurt Solomon in the divorce proceedings. CPS carried out a number of investigations into the allegations of abuse. What's interesting is that Julia continued to make accusations against Solomon, even after he had been barred from seeing the kids while the investigations were going on. I couldn't tell how many investigations there were, but they all concluded that the allegations were unfounded, and Solomon was never charged. According to the Kirkland Reporter, court documents from one of the CPS investigations stated that, quote, Miley was forensically interviewed and was able to provide a consistent and credible statement that the father inflicted the bruises on her back with a wooden spoon. Of course what Miley said is serious, but bear in mind her age, the fact she really didn't have contact with anyone other than Julia, and on top of that, how manipulative Julia could be. I'm not taking sides, but I do know how ugly this sort of thing can get. You really can't underestimate the things people will do and say to get their way. In September 2010, Julia was granted full custody of the children. Solomon would have no visitation rights. Three months after she had been granted full custody, Julia began saying that Solomon had sexually abused Miley. Bear in mind, he hadn't seen either child for months at this point, so this was completely out of the blue. An investigation into these claims concluded that they, like all the others, were also unfounded. Solomon continued to press for visitation rights. In November 2011, just days before Sky disappeared, a court-ordered mediation session took place. The purpose of this session was to decide whether Solomon could start seeing the kids again. The mediation session, which lasted between 11 and 13 hours, initially appeared to be a success. Julia would still have custody of the kids, but Solomon would now have visitation rights. Several days later, however, Julia called her lawyer, saying that she felt pressured into agreeing to the new terms, and she wanted to void them altogether. She was insistent that Solomon not be able to see the kids. So the entire session had been for nothing. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans. Like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. American Giant makes great clothing. Sweatshirts, jeans, and more. Right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Code STAPLE20. Now finally, back to the day Sky disappeared. Just a quick refresher. We've got Julia running out of gas and pulling over on the side of the road. She walks a mile with Miley to a gas station, but leaves Sky alone in the car. 
At the gas station, she uses the phone to call her friend, who she asks to come and pick her up and drive her back to her car. Back at her car, Julia called the police around 9.50 a.m. from her friend's phone and reported Skye missing. Once the police arrived, a search began almost immediately. Law enforcement and members of the public combed a 20-block radius around the car for any sign of Skye. Search dogs were used, but they didn't pick up any scent outside of the car. The search ultimately turned up nothing. Julia agreed to let investigators search her car, home, and her computer, but she refused to be questioned. All the police knew was the story she told them. She invoked her Fifth Amendment right, got a lawyer, and refused to take a polygraph test. To this day, more than ten years later, Julia has not uttered another word to investigators about the circumstances of her son's disappearance. Alarm bells immediately began going off for the police when they searched the car. First of all, there was no sign of forced entry. Julia had left the car unlocked when she walked to the gas station. In fact, there was nothing wrong with the car at all. It started as soon as they put the key in the ignition. It was checked for any kind of mechanical problems, and none were found. The gas tank had 2.2 gallons in it. So, Julia was lying about having run out of gas, but she outright refused to talk to the police about anything, so they were pretty much completely in the dark. Around 11am, police went to Solomon's house to inform him that Skye was missing. On speaking with him, they found out he hadn't seen either of his children in a really long time due to the divorce and Julia having full custody. I've seen differing reports, but from what I gathered, the last time he had seen Skye was more than eight months earlier. According to Solomon, the last time he knew someone other than Julia and Miley had seen Skye was at a doctor's appointment six months earlier in April. Solomon took a polygraph test, but the results were inconclusive. His lawyer claimed this was due to how emotionally drained and stressed he was. He took another polygraph the following day, but the results of the second test were never released to the public. The investigators also talked to Miley, who said her brother had been in the car with them that morning. I'm sure Julia was absolutely capable of coaching Miley to say whatever she needed her to say. I'm not saying this is what happened, but like I said earlier, it's definitely a possibility. Police interviewed other residents of Julia's apartment building in Redmond. One neighbor claimed she saw Skye two weeks earlier, but otherwise, they hardly ever saw Julia or the children. Julia was known to isolate herself in the apartment for long periods of time. Solomon described her as being, quote, like a prisoner who locked herself in a cell. It didn't take long for the police to discover that Julia and Solomon had not exactly been model parents. After a little digging, it came to their attention that this was not the first time Skye had been left alone in a car in public. When he was just three months old, Julia and Solomon had gone shopping at Target and left him sleeping in the car on a 27 degree day, or minus three in Celsius. The police were called to the store. They asked for Julia and Solomon to be paged to the parking lot. Skye had been alone in the extremely cold car for about 55 minutes while they were shopping. As a result of the incident, they were cited for reckless endangerment and sentenced to a year's probation. They would be required to take parenting classes and complete 40 hours of community service. 
When Solomon found out Skye was missing, he began organizing search efforts and meetups with friends and family. They put up missing posters and handed out flyers in and around the area Skye disappeared. Julia and her family did not participate in any of these efforts. They avoided the media like the plague and were hostile with authorities. On November 13th, a week after Sky disappeared, authorities set up a roadblock at the location Julia had left him. For five hours, they questioned people driving by about whether they had seen anything that day or had any information regarding Sky's disappearance. Julia's mother, brother, and two friends were interviewed by the police, but beyond that, they had not spoken publicly or been forthcoming with information. Julia was doing little to convince anyone of her innocence, not talking to police or participating in searches. About two weeks after Skye's disappearance, she began corresponding via email with a reporter from ABC News. She maintained that she did not know what happened to Skye that day, and would not elaborate on any further details. In her emails, she lashed out at Solomon, calling him a quote, sadistic Pakistani Muslim, even though Solomon had been a devoted Christian for more than five years at this point. Shortly after her brother's disappearance, Miley was removed from Julia's care and placed into a foster home. Julia was not allowed to have contact with her. She remained in foster care until Solomon was granted full custody of her in early December 2011, just before her fifth birthday. Unsurprisingly, Miley was extremely traumatized from living with her mother. Apparently, Julia would talk about wanting to kill herself so often in front of the children that it was rubbing off on Miley, who also began talking about wanting to die. Over the following weeks, police searched parks, garbage, and landfills. It was clear that they thought Skye was dead. They were highly suspicious of Julia, but could not charge her. You could argue that they should have charged her with child endangerment. I'll get to why they didn't do that in a little bit. But as I said already, they couldn't ask her about anything because she pled the fifth, and her lawyer told her not to talk. It's widely speculated that Julia lied about everything that happened the morning Skye disappeared. Solomon's lawyer, Leslie Clay Terry, did not believe Skye was ever in the car on the morning of November 6. He was convinced that Julia was responsible for Skye's death, but it was probably not intentional. Given Julia's history of negligence, including not feeding the children, Skye could have starved to death and she got rid of his body. This is probably just a coincidence, but some people have pointed out that the night before Skye disappeared, an episode of Law & Order, SVU, was re-aired in the Seattle area. The episode had a very similar plot to the circumstances surrounding Skye's disappearance. Specifically, it focused on a mother who covers up her child's death by claiming the child was abducted from her parked car. One theory of Solomon's was that Julia's estranged father took Skye back to Ukraine with him after he visited the United States in the spring of 2011. However, Solomon admitted that this would have been near impossible to pull off. In March 2012, Solomon and Julia's divorce was finalized. Meanwhile, Julia busied herself with other endeavors, creating a profile on SeekingArrangement.com in search of a sugar daddy who would support her with between $3,000 and $5,000 a month in return for a romantic relationship. However, I couldn't find any evidence that anything ever came of her search. 
People were also suspicious of the fact that Julia's Facebook page had lots of pictures of Miley, but just one of Skye. On the face of it, this may not seem like that big of a deal, but Sky going missing changed that. It makes you wonder, perhaps Julia only wanted one child. When you combine Julia's behaviors, including not assisting or talking to law enforcement, searching for a sugar daddy instead of searching for her son, and clearly favoring one child over the other on Facebook, it really does make her look like a suspect. In 2014, Julia got remarried to a man named Alan J. Morgan, who sounds like a real catch. Morgan's lengthy criminal history included several CPS referrals in Florida for cruelty towards a child he had with another woman. His other charges included domestic violence, violence against a police officer, chemical dependency, battery, and assault. In July 2015, Julia gave birth to Morgan's child. Shortly after the baby was born, the police were called, I believe due to a domestic incident, and Morgan was arrested. The state issued a no-contact order, stating that neither was allowed to contact the other. However, they both violated the order. The new baby was removed from Julia's care and placed in the care of her mother. So, where does the case stand now? As of November 2019, 40,000 hours and $2 million have gone into the investigation. Over 2,500 tips have been looked into. A question that's consistently asked about this case is, why wasn't Julia charged with reckless endangerment? Investigators have outlined their reasoning for not charging her as a strategic decision. Bellevue Police spokesman Seth Tyler explained it further by saying, quote, we would have to prove that we believe she left Skye alone in the vehicle, and if police were to prove that, it could preclude them from later seeking murder charges if Skye's body were to be found and evidence showed he had not been in the car. It's always frustrating when there's a case that's open for so long, but it's still an active case. We follow up on every lead, and we never lose hope, he said. We were recently able to file charges on a 34-year-old murder case, we don't close them until they're solved. In November 2021, 10 years after Sky disappeared, Solomon spoke to Seattle news station King 5 News about his son. He's still holding out hope that Sky is out there somewhere. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please give me a 5-star rating and review on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe wherever you're listening now. If you'd like to take your support further, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash talkmurder. The links to my social media accounts are in the show notes for this episode. You can follow me on Instagram to see photos from each case. If you'd like to get in touch, please email me at talkmurderwithme at gmail.com. Until next time. <laughs>